0: I remember when I was a child, I was about eight or nine years old, and I was at a swimming pool with some of my friends. One of the older children decided it'd be funny to throw me into the deeper end of the pool, knowing that I couldn't swim. So he threw me into the pool, and I started flailing about, trying to catch air. I was convinced that I was going to die that day. I was probably only underwater for a couple of seconds, but it felt like it was an eternity. The child comes and puts me, the older child comes and puts me on his shoulder. He takes me to safety, and all is good. So what to him was just some fun and a laugh at my expense, to me was very traumatic and left me with this fear of drowning for years. Drowning is perhaps one of the worst ways to die. That's why in 2009, the interrogation form of waterboarding was banned by the United States. It is seen as an extreme act of torture that is unethical. Here is how the author Angela Abraham describes drowning. I have held my breath in a pool before. This isn't like that. This is like having a gun to my head and being told not to have my heart beat. Of course it will beat. And my lungs will inhale, whether it's air or salty water. In the moment that the coolness rushes in, I know I am already dead. In moments I will float like the seaweed, nothing more than flesh and bones, ready to decay in the currents. I want to be saved. I want a rescuing hand to tow me back to life, to the world that I know. It is with this context that we're confronted with the story of Noah and the Ark a story in which God chooses to drown all the inhabitants of the earth. As children in Sunday school, many of us are taught about Noah and how God saved him and his family and all the animals, and we're taught to look at it from an elementary perspective. You may remember pictures of Noah with a rainbow and all of the happy animals, but unlike other children's story, Noah provides us with a dilemma that as children we may not have noticed. Any good story has a protagonist, an antagonist, an interesting plot, a problem, and then a resolution. In Hansel and Gretel, the children have to escape from the witch. In Cinderella, the wicked stepsisters and stepmother are the cause of despair. And in Pinocchio, it is the influence of shady friends and his own propensity to tell lies that gets him into trouble. But who is the bad guy in Noah and the Ark? Well... We're told that humanity itself is the bad guy. They have grown so wicked that it is a reason reason enough for God to flood the entire world. So all of the people drown except Noah and his family. God promises not to do it again and gives us a rainbow. And that's the end of the story. That might be the end of the story when we were children. But now as adults, that's really just the beginning of the story. The author Karen Armstrong asks a troubling and concerning question. What does it mean when the creator God becomes the destroyer God? I might add, what does it mean not only to become a destroyer, but one who chooses the cruel method of drowning every man, woman, and child because of his disapproval with his own creation? During the season of Lent, when tradition asks us to let go of some food or vice or pleasure, perhaps we should also let go of some antiquated views of God. Many people today look at the story of Noah and think it's ridiculous putting all these animals on an ark without them eating each other. Not only that, but God is seen as vindictive and unjust. God is like a child who, after getting his toys, simply throws them away. Or worse, he's like the character Sid Phillips in the animated film Toy Story, who chooses to sadistically destroy his toys when he has grown tired of them. Surely God must be more kind and compassionate than this. There are still many Christians who believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. Some of these people are the same ones who believe that COVID-19 was sent by God to have the people of the world repent from their sins And return back to Him. I have no desire to follow a God that ordains the death of two million people just to get their attention. I also have no desire to argue or convince other people to see God my way. I think God is big enough to handle all of our ideas and conceptions about her, even the most egregious ones. It's usually we who cannot handle the other views that people might have of God. Nevertheless, I don't view God as some sort of vindictive character who's willing to drown all of the inhabitants of earth just to prove a point. When I read Noah's Ark, I see an author who is trying to make sense of the world that they live in. In fact, if you Google search list of flood myths, you will see that the authors of Genesis were not the only ones trying to make sense of their world. There are hundreds of ancient flood stories across the ancient world From numerous cultures and countries, Noah and the Ark is only one of many. Back then, when there was a major flood or natural disaster, people assumed that they must have done something wrong to offend the gods or God. This was a common theme in Egyptian, Greek, Aztec, Chinese, and other cultures. It's easy for the world to laugh and scoff at ancient people as being superstitious and unenlightened. Yet the miraculous part of this is not the mythical stories within themselves. Rather, it's the fact that people in Africa and parts of America and India and other parts of Asia who had no idea there were other people on the other side of the globe had a familiar story about floods. Even today, with all of the scientific advancements we have, we still can only come up with theories on how this could be. But beyond the sociological and archaeological inquiries we might have, it still leaves us with the question, what does Noah and the ark mean for us in the 21st century? What does this say about life and God? To be honest, I don't really know. Two million people, more than two million people, have died from COVID-19. I'm left with more questions than answers about life and about God. To be honest, sometimes like Noah, I just want to get drunk on one of my many vices that I'm giving up for Lent to try to take away some of the pain. What I do know, though, is that rainbows are very special to me. I was born in Hawaii, which is known as the Rainbow State, so there's a deep connection for me. There's a deep symbolism there. and I have plenty of stories about rainbows, but I'll share one that helps me to navigate through times of uncertainty and hardship. I lived in Brooklyn, New York uh, in my mid-20s to mid-30s, and I, I always wanted to walk the Brooklyn Bridge but never got around to doing it at the time. Either I was busy or I was gonna go with somebody and they flaked out or it rained. Something always came up. Anyways, as life went on, I ended up meeting a young lady who I would date, and then we wanted to walk the Brooklyn Bridge, but we would procrastinate or something would happen and this went on for months and even years. Finally enough time had passed where I was uh, persuaded that I wanted to marry this person and I was going to marry her on the day that we walked the Brooklyn Bridge. So I set a, a, a date in mine, didn't tell her about the ring that I had in my pocket and we ended up walking the Brooklyn Bridge. It was a beautiful sunny day in Brooklyn we ended up going to a movie theater and watching a movie and after obviously <laughs> and after we leave the movie theater there's like water all over the the ground people are walking around in umbrellas and we're like flabbergasted because it was the most beautiful sunny day apparently it had rained while we were in the movie theater as we started walking across the Brooklyn bridge in the horizon, I could see um, a rainbow in the sky. And I was just convinced that God had ordained the whole thing and was, was blessing me and who would become my wife. It was a beautiful day. However, a couple years later, all of that beauty seemed to go away. Life began to take its toll. Arguments were getting much worse. The love that we had was dissipating we were at one point close friends, now we were enemies. We decided to get a separation and things were getting so bad that I remember I was driving one day in Delaware. We had moved by that time and um, I, I end up pulling to the side of the road and I'm crying on my steering wheel and I look up and there's this rainbow. And I I just felt like God was saying things are gonna be okay. And things didn't necessarily work out the way I thought they were going to work out. We did end up divorcing. I'm grateful that we're friends to this day. But things don't always work out the way we want them to work out. But I do believe that God stays with us. And maybe that's what these people who are writing Noah's Ark were trying to say. They couldn't understand why these floods and other horrible things were happening. But when they saw that rainbow, it meant something to them. It gave them some sort of peace. Maybe that's what this story is all about. We don't understand why a lot of things happen in life, especially death. In fact, some of the people we want to die (laughs) will go on to live very long lives, while only the good die young, as Billy Joel says. But amidst the tragedies of life, every now and then, maybe we can catch a sign, some sort of rainbow, that lets us know that God is still there for us. But in case you don't see a rainbow, please allow me and my friend Jim Bennett to provide you with one just to get you through this day.